following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from LifePoint Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Matthew chapter 6. And to praise the Lord for His sustaining grace and, and praise the Lord that He is always near and always faithful. And... Uh, I failed to mention earlier uh, that I wanted to thank everyone that came out for our work day yesterday, had a good time together, uh, doing some projects around here, uh, taking care of uh, various things, and, um, and so I'm thankful for, for all the people that were here and, and participated with that. Some of you saw, probably saw the outdoor stage out there and wondered if we were moving back outside, and uh, no, we, we put that together for our fall festival next week, kind of a, a place where we can make announcements and kind of have a center point. So, uh, you know, we're putting that together and made me sweat just, uh, just looking at that thing. Um, but, uh, but anyway, that's why that's out there. We had a good day yesterday and appreciate everyone that uh, gave uh, a portion of your Saturday to help us get some work done. Well, we're going to be in uh, Matthew 6, uh, verses 31 to 34. Uh, here in a moment, but, but I'd just like to begin this morning with a question, and that is this, what is the ideal picture of faith? Or, or you could put it this way, you know, what do you imagine, or, or who do you imagine when you think of great faith? Now, I imagine uh, for a lot of us, uh, your mind immediately thinks of someone who takes a radical or a dangerous step of faith. Maybe you think of, of Abraham strapping his son to an altar and, and getting ready to slit his throat. Or maybe you think of Moses uh, standing up to Pharaoh. Maybe you think of Hezekiah standing up to a, a Syrian empire with hundreds of thousands of soldiers surrounding Jerusalem. Maybe you think of someone a more modern figure like George Mueller who saw God answer incredible prayers to provide for his orphanage. Maybe you think of William Carey uh, taking the gospel to India. You know, one of the very first missionaries to go to a foreign field and all the unknowns that he stepped out into when, when, when he left England to go to India. And, and so by faith, it's, it's very clear that, that these men and Many other men and women have, have done some incredible things and, and they have some exciting stories of how God used them by faith. But, but you know, faith does not always come with a big, exciting story. You know, so, you know, Mountain-moving faith is not the only kind of faith. Sometimes, great faith is quiet. Sometimes it's almost unnoticeable. And our text for today calls us to, to a quiet faith that, that sometimes we, we fail to appreciate for how precious it is. And let's start reading in verse 25 for the sake of context, because really this is a one continuous thought, and read down through verse 34. Jesus says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. 
that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Uh, In this passage, of course, the word worry is the word that stands out. It occurs uh, six times in the passage. Verses 25, 27, 28, 31, and twice in verse 34. And so Jesus, throughout this passage, He he clearly and repeatedly uh, confronts us for our tendency to be consumed with the cares of this life and to be overwhelmed with worry about uh, the things that are happening in in our lives around us. And Jesus answers our tendency to worry with, with several solutions. But, but I think it's important that we recognize that, that all the solutions he gives us to our worry, they turn on the axis of faith. That, that we need to trust God's character. And we need to see all of life with, with, a, with a faith-filled vision of eternity that shapes how we look at this world. So, so really, if you could sum up this entire paragraph, that the message of this paragraph is that we must replace worry with faith. And when we do that, we can enjoy a quiet rest that is immune to the rise and the fall of circumstance. Now, now if you have that kind of quiet rest, the ability to just be at peace with God through everything that comes and goes in life, that may not attract the same attention as strapping your son to an altar like Isaac did, or standing up to the Assyrians like Hezekiah did. But but it is also a precious faith that pleases the Lord. And I'd say that that kind of faith is the foundation of a godly life that honors Christ. And in this text, Jesus is calling you to develop that kind of quiet confidence in the Lord that sustains you through every circumstance of life. And today we're going to finish the text by looking at verses 31 through 34, where Jesus challenges us to embrace three solutions to worry. All right? And so many of us struggle with worry. All of us do to some extent. So so we need these three solutions. So the first solution he gives to worry is that you must trust God to meet your needs. Trust God to meet your needs. Now, now before we get into this point, we we need to review some ground uh, that we covered last week. So remember that the final statement of verse 24 Uh, really shapes this entire passage. So so verse 24 concludes by saying, you cannot serve God and wealth. You have to choose. If if your master is going to be the things of this world 
or, or you are going to serve God. And, and that shapes uh, our text because, uh, because of that truth, verses 25 through 34 confront us for worrying about material things. It's because we serve wealth or, or serve the things of this world that we end up worrying and being consumed with the things of this world, things like food and drink and clothing. Now, now we don't generally think of it this way, but, but a basic assumption of this paragraph then is that when I worry about material things, even legitimate needs like food, drink, and clothing, Jesus' assumption is, is that I am worshiping wealth instead of worshiping God. When I worry about the cares of this life, I am prioritizing, in the words of verses 19 and 20, earthly treasures over heavenly ones. And of course, that's a problem. And Jesus continues to pound that focus in verses 31 and 32 as he contrasts the focus of Gentiles or pagans with the focus of a healthy disciple. So so notice on the one hand that pagans depend on themselves. Pagans depend on themselves. So he says again in verse 31, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Now, now let's just be honest with ourselves. I mean, verse 31 is not a verse that sounds foreign to us, right? I mean, don't we? Can't we put ourselves in that verse and and know that that we think this way very often? We we worry all the time about material things. And and if you genuinely had no food, no drink, or no clothing, and you had no ability to buy those things for yourself, then it would be really hard not to feel the panic that that is uh, built into that statement in verse 31. And of course, it's not just that we worry about essentials, like food, drink, and clothing. There's plenty of other material interests and concerns, things of this life that that consume us at times with worry. As verse 32 says, we eagerly seek all these things. Now, now why is that? I think there's two issues in this passage that that drive this sort of worry. The first is, is that I begin to believe that these things matter a whole lot more than they actually do. Remember Jesus' question in verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now when I am consumed with worry, I have begun to believe that, that I have to have good food. I have to have a comfortable home. I have to have this promotion at work or I have to have this trip. And, I, and since I lack an eternal perspective, I begin to worship wealth. I begin to worship material things instead of God. And because of that, I begin to get anxious about things that in comparison to eternity do not matter at all. But a second, and Jesus, a second issue, a second driving reason for our worry, and, the, and the, Jesus' primary concern in verses 31 and 32, is that we begin to believe that it is all up to me to fix whatever it is that is wrong. 
right? So, so, so food, drink, and clothing are, are essentials, right? Like, like we kind of need those things to live. So, so, so the issue here is fundamentally that, that I think it's up to me. I mean, notice the contrast in verse 32. He says, Gentiles eagerly seek these things, but a healthy disciple knows that your Father in heaven has it all taken care of. So, so one person, the, the Gentile here, is seeking these things in his strength. He's thinking, it is my problem that I must fix to provide for myself. And the disciple who's walking by faith trusts the Lord. So, so a pagan depends on himself. He thinks it is up to me to solve all of my problems. But in contrast, the solution to worry is that a disciple rests in the faithfulness of God. Now, now it's a good time uh, for me uh, just to, to mention that Gentiles, that we're Gentiles in this context, it is not about race or genetics so much. All right, so, so, so the point here is not to make a distinction between Jew and Gentile from a racial standpoint. No, no we have to remember here that, that Jesus is speaking uh, at a time when, when the law had separated Jews from Gentiles. So, so the Jews had a relationship to God through the law. The Gentiles were separated from God by means of the law. And so the distinction here is a religious one, not so much a racial one. So, so the point is, is that the Gentiles, they did not know God. And they didn't see the world as, as being ruled by the hand of a sovereign, kind, and wise father. And of course, the Gentiles, they did worship gods. But, but, but the pagans of, of, of Jesus' day, they believed that it was their job to convince the gods to give them the things that they needed. To, to buy their favor, to manipulate them into giving them what they wanted. And Jesus says, so Jesus says, when I worry, I am acting like a pagan. I'm denying that God is sovereign over my life, and I am claiming the sovereignty that God has for myself. So, so I, I mean, this is painful to hear, right? This is painful for me. Maybe it's painful for you. But, but Jesus says that when I worry about material things, the things of this world, it is pagan, and ultimately it is arrogant. Because I am assuming the place of God in my life. So what's the solution? Well, Jesus urges us to remember that your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. Now, now that is a simple statement, but it is a wonderful statement of God-centered, faith-filled vision. So if I'm going to overcome worry, I must believe that my God is not some apathetic, distant, you know, pagan deity who, who doesn't really care about me. Now, if I'm going to overcome worry, I need to believe that my God is near. And He cares about every detail of my life. And He is fully attuned to my situation. And He has a perfect plan to answer. Matthew chapter 10 says that He sees every sparrow that falls to the ground. And He has every hair on your head counted. 
And he is in absolute control of every one of those details. Isn't there so much rest in that reality? You know, knowing that, that God knows me. He knows my situation and He is in absolute control of it all. You know, I just think as an example, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor and, and, and a big part of, of my ministry, um, especially when I was at uh, Intercity, but, but even here as well, is, is running programs. And that's a big part of church life and ministry is running programs and events. And, and you know, sometimes... Uh, we, we as churches, we put on these big events, we have these big programs, and there's a lot of details involved, a lot of volunteers to organize, lots of things that you want to get done, and you want to get done well so that everything goes just right. And, and you know, what's such a blessing when you're running a big program, a big event, is, is when you have people, or, or one person in particular, that is absolutely trustworthy, and they're managing the details, Right, so, so you hand them uh, maybe a whole program or you hand them a section of the program and, and you know that that person knows exactly what needs to get done. And they care that it gets done well. And, and they have a good plan to execute the details. And, and it's great. Man, I love it as a pastor. You know, that, that, that when there's certain things taking place and I don't need to worry about it, I don't need to stick myself in the middle of every little thing that's going on. I just know that so-and-so has it. It's in their hands, and I can just show up and have a good time, or show up and do my little part and not worry about everything else. And you know, Jesus says that you can trust in God like that. You don't have to stress about the things, about this thing and that thing. You don't need to worry about guarding your happiness and every little detail of life. No, you can rest knowing that your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And He has it perfectly under control. So verses 31 and 32 call us to trust God instead of ourselves to meet our needs. And so Jesus is challenging you, don't try to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. No, no, don't stay up all night wondering, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear for clothing? No. Trust God that He is who He says He is. You know, that's, that's about, I mean, trust God to accomplish His purpose. That's about as duh of a, of a Christian church point as you could possibly have. But you know, that's where we live, right? And so every day I need to walk by faith and trust the Lord. And then the second solution to worry is pursue God's purpose. Pursue God's purpose. So verse 33, a very well-known verse, says, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, now this is another great verse, because, because one of the reasons we worry is, is that we feel like we're being pulled in 50 directions. You ever you, you feel that thought, right? You know, it's like when we're at home and, and, and we've got three kids, you know, and, and all, all three of them are talking to you at one time, and you're like, ah! You know, stop! Let me do this, and then we'll do this, and then we'll do this. And, and you know, that's kind of how we are in life sometimes, right? You know, that, that, that we've got 50 things going on, we're being pulled here and there and everywhere, 
And, and, and so it's, it's overwhelming because we don't feel like we can do any of it well and we've got so many things in our plate we're not sure what to do and we can't do any of it right. Well, well Jesus understands and, and therefore he helps us by narrowing our focus to two fundamental goals that I need to pursue. And first he says, seek first his kingdom. Now, now that's a famous line. Of course, it's made its way into one of the most uh, famous praise songs of our day. However, I, I think that most Christians probably don't really know exactly what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. I mean, we sing it, but we don't quite know what it means. Well, well, well throughout Matthew, uh, the kingdom is fundamentally the, the future millennial kingdom of Christ. So, so Jesus has promised, and particularly in chapters 24 and 25, He promises that He is going to come again, and, and He is going to conquer evil, He is going to reconcile all things to Himself, and He is going to rule over a righteous, just, and compassionate kingdom. It's going to last for a thousand years prior to the eternal state. And of course, Jesus already urged us in verse 10 to pray. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now he commands us to seek first this kingdom. Now, now the question then is, well, how do I seek a kingdom that is in the future and that God has determined when it's going to come? Well, well I think if you look through the Gospels, and particularly at the life of John the Baptist and Jesus, we can see that we prepare for the kingdom by living a life that is consistent with the values of the kingdom. And in particular, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has emphasized the social aspect of this coming kingdom. So the kingdom is going to be marked by peace and harmony among God's people and by mutual care and concern. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls us to care for the poor and needy, to make our offenses right when we sin against each other, to be peacemakers. Don't, don't live at odds with each other, but, but make sure that you pursue peace. He says, love your enemies, not just your neighbors. So, so to pursue the kingdom, to seek first the kingdom, is to live consistent with those values that, that will rule in the kingdom. To, to live a life reflective of what is to come. But, but I think as well, it surely includes... Um, like we see in the ministry of John the Baptist and Jesus, uh, of calling others to repent and to prepare for the kingdom. So, so first, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5 says that we are ambassadors for Christ and that it is our job to appeal to people, be reconciled to God, and become new creatures in Christ. So if you're going to seek first the kingdom of God, it means for us in the church age that you engage in Great Commission ministry. That you are out sharing the gospel with people. Making disciples, calling people to repent and be saved and, and to live a life that is consistent with God's nature. So, so we need to be people. We, we seek the kingdom of God by, by living a life consistent with the kingdom and, and, and calling people to enter that kingdom themselves. Now, if you are the person in verse 31, and you're worried about wealth and things, then, then, then generously caring for people who are in need 
or, or giving your energy to the Great Commission seems kind of useless and unnatural, right? Like if you're the guy in verse 31, you're thinking, I don't need disciples. I need food. You know, or I need this thing over here. But, but Jesus commands us to forcefully turn our attention and our energy to kingdom priorities. And we need to live, we, we need to seek the kingdom of Christ, not the kingdom of this world. And folks, God did not leave you on this planet to obsess over food and drink and clothing and job promotions and houses and all that other stuff. He left you here to, to glorify His name, to, to live a life that is consistent with the character of God, and, and to call people to, to be saved. So, so how are you involved in the Great Commission? Like, what are you doing in, in your own individual life or through the ministries of the church to participate in seeking the kingdom of God? If it's like, well, well I'm, I'm busy. You know, I, we're, we're doing these 20 things over here, and I've got these 20 things over here, and I've got these 20 hobbies over here. I don't, I don't have time to be involved in the Great Commission. Well, folks, that's a problem. And Jesus says, seek first my kingdom. And then the second goal he gives is seek his righteousness. Now, now throughout the sermon, Jesus has continually emphasized practical righteousness. So, so he's not talking here about seeking justification, all right? Alien, uh, imputed righteousness. No, he's talking about practical righteousness. So, so he said in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Chapter 5, verse 20 says, demands a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And Jesus has applied, given us plenty of applications of practical righteousness, that we are to pursue honesty, that we are to keep our marriage vows, that we are to give and pray and fast in a way that is sincere and holy and reverent. And so verse 33 here commands us to pursue that kind of righteousness. So rather than spending my days stewing over money and clothing and success and fame and all these other temporal cares, I must be zealous for love and good deeds. I need to be working hard to to take on the character of Jesus. So I need to aggressively seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Now, now, to be clear, that's not all I do, right? You know, that, that, that Jesus here is not saying that, that every Christian should quit his job, become a missionary. Or, or that you do nothing but sit at home and read your Bible, do character formation, and, 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 and you know, avoid all the other responsibilities of life. I mean, clearly, if you look through the Sermon on the Mount and throughout Scripture, God wants us to invest our energies in all the things that He's called us to do. No, 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 rather, I think verse 21 nails the, the primary issue, which is what is your treasure? And where are you investing your energy and your heart passions? So am I consumed with laying up treasures in heaven? Even in how I do my job, how I go to school, and, and how I engage in other responsibilities? Or is it all about me? Is it consumed with laying up treasures in earth? Jesus says, seek first my kingdom 
and my righteousness. But, but again, if you're the anxious person in verse 31, seeking the kingdom and righteousness seems pretty worthless, right? Like if you really are worried about your next meal or, or some other uh, temporal concern, you're going to think, you know, I need food. I need drink. So, so, so what do we do with that? Well, well, Jesus thought you might ask. And so notice the promise that it concludes verse 33. He says again, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, in context here, these things is not the kingdom and righteousness, right? No, it's instead the, the practical needs of life. It's food, drink, and clothing, and whatever other practical needs that you have. So, so Jesus here makes an incredible promise, doesn't he? That, that if you devote yourself to his purpose, and you are committed to doing what God called you to do, Jesus says, He'll take care of the rest. He'll, he'll provide for, for your every need. And that's a pretty incredible promise, isn't it? You know, the Scriptures teach this consistently. Psalm 37, verses 25 and 26. David writes, I have been young and now am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Philippians 4.19 says, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So the Scriptures consistently teach that God will provide for our needs as we focus on Him and His mission. Now, now you might ask, well, well how's that square with, with some of the bad things that, that have happened to, to Christians? You know, what about people who who don't have everything they need, or, or they die prematurely. You know, what about people like Stephen, who are killed for their faith? Well, well clearly, in light of that, verse 33 cannot mean that, that God always gives us an abundance and, and long life if we serve God. He's not promising health and wealth for everyone who obeys, obeys God. But, but Philippians 4.19 remains true. God will supply your every need as you are faithful to Him. And it's just, of course, that, that God's definition of our need and our definition of our need don't always align. But it is true that you are invincible as long as God has you on this earth. And when God is done with you, Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So, so the challenge for us, as it's been throughout this passage, is to believe God. And I need to believe that God knows what I need, and He will meet my every need. You know, that, that I don't need to, to worry about all this stuff. I have to leave it with God and focus on what God wants. You know, like, I don't have to have an answer. For all these little things over here. I don't have to have it all worked out. Jesus says, focus your attention on my kingdom and my righteousness and let me take care of the rest. And what's so wonderful about that is that when I trust God like that, I don't have to be yanked around by the slave master of materialism. 
You know, I don't have to chase this desire and that desire and be overwhelmed with this thing and that thing over here. I can just leave it all with God and I can give myself to what God wants. I think a great biblical example of this is found in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus rebukes Martha. And what's He say? He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Referring there to sitting at the feet of Jesus and knowing Him. You know, don't we live like Martha a lot? We're running a hundred different directions. Anxious, you know, I mean, you think about Martha, you know, and you know, she's got to have the salad just right and she's got to make sure the lettuce is crisp and she's got to make sure that the doilies are out and all this stuff so it's a beautiful meal. And Jesus just says, chill out, Martha. One thing is necessary. Keep your focus on what is most important. So, so don't let the cares of this life distract you from what is most important. Seek His kingdom and His righteousness. And trust the Lord that as you do, all these things will be taken care of. God has it. And then the third solution to worry is focus on today. Focus on today. So verse 34 says, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I love this verse. This verse is so full of wisdom, and it's one of those verses that uh, that I tend to bring up with a lot of people when I'm trying to encourage them and counsel them. So, so this verse offers two basic challenges, and the first is, trust the Lord with tomorrow. Trust the Lord with tomorrow. So, so he begins, again, by commanding us, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Now, now there's nothing explicitly Christian about that statement, right? Because Nothing is said about God or God's purpose or His grace. But we ought to understand it in keeping with the promise of verse 33, right? So so God will meet our needs. He just told us that in verse 33. So, So therefore, why don't I need to worry about tomorrow? Well, it's because God will worry about tomorrow. God's got it. Now, of course, God doesn't worry like we worry. Because he's in absolute control. So, so the point is, is that God already has tomorrow fully worked out. So, so you don't know what tomorrow holds. But God does. And he, has, he knows exactly what he's doing. And, and he has a perfect plan to accomplish it. And so there is no reason for me to live my life worried about tomorrow. But, but that's not what we do, oftentimes. You know, and that's hard. I mean, life is filled with uncertainties. You know, just uh, Friday when I was at the conference, I was talking with a friend that um, we were at, at church together for several years, and his wife was the receptionist, and, and, um, and he told me that his wife was recently diagnosed as having MS. And they're a young family. Um, Amy was pregnant with... With their firstborn, the same time Heidi was pregnant with Isaac, so they've got three little kids, five and younger. And so, you know, you wonder, you know, how, how, I mean, what is the future? You know, so this guy, you know, what's the future for my wife hold? You know, how am I going to raise my kids as my wife loses her 
capacities. And, and they've trained and given their life to doing ministry in the Dominican Republic. You know, so, so how in the world are they going to do what God's called them to do in a place with limited health care? And what does all of that mean? How are they going to do that? I have, a, I have another pastor friend in Michigan. He's about my age, and he's got two elementary age kids. And just in the last few months, they found out that his wife has terminal cancer. She's dying. So, you know, it's easy to wonder if you're in his position. How am I going to manage my kids? How am I going to raise my kids without my wife? How am I going to function without her there to support me? You know, what what does this mean for us as a family? And life is filled sometimes with hard uncertainties. And and you know, and and it's not just those kind of big traumatic things that, that we're... I mean, sometimes... We've just got 50 little worries. And it's like sandpaper. You know, just constantly wearing away at us. It wears us raw. So, so what do we do? Do we worry and fret about every unknown? No, Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. And why is that? Because tomorrow will worry about itself. In other words... I may not know what tomorrow holds, but God does. And He has it all worked out. So I just want to encourage you right now to think about what are the worries that are on your mind. Maybe you are really worried about some some health things, some, some test results that are supposed to come back in the next few days. Maybe you're worried about your kids, your parents, whether it's health things, spiritual things, Maybe you lie awake at night worried about our country, politics. Maybe you worry about your job, finances. Whatever it is, Jesus says, don't worry. I have it all taken care of. So just trust me that I am good, I am wise, I'm sovereign, and, and, and leave it in my hands. And so because instead of worrying about tomorrow, the second challenge is focus on God's will for today. Focus on God's will today. So, so Jesus concludes, verse 34, by saying, each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, that's a great statement. I, I love that statement. And, um, and he's saying, you know, you've got enough to worry about today without worrying about tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I think, I, I think sometimes, you know... Um, Sometimes the reason we do struggle with so much worry you know, is because we don't have a lot going on. You know, so, so sometimes, you know, I, I mean, I think sometimes for, for older, retired people, you don't have 50 things going on. You're not chasing kids. And so it can be easy to sit at home and, and worry about all the stuff in the future. And, and so we need to, to keep ourselves busy with the things that has called, God has called us to do today. But, but for all of us at times, we just need to recognize that there's plenty to worry about today. And so a major key to thriving under pressure is, is learning how to tune out the noise of the future and just focus on what God has for me right now. You know, ironically, I was scrolling through Twitter on Tuesday afternoon and, and I came across a statement by John Gordon. And, uh, and he said, 
a Navy SEAL told me that most guys trying to be a Navy SEAL don't make it through Hell Week because they are dreaming for it to be over. The ones who make it just focus on making it to breakfast. Don't worry about tomorrow. Win the moment. Win today. That sounds like someone's borrowing from Jesus there, but, but, but isn't that so good? That's so true? You know, that, that if you are facing Hell Week, all right, like seven days of torture, and you try and, and digest seven days of misery at the front end, you will not make it. But if you just say, i got to get through the next hour, and then you make it through the next hour, then you can do it. You know, and, and, and yet, I mean, another example. Have you ever wondered how someone runs a marathon? Like, you're standing at the, front, you're standing at the starting line, and you're thinking, I'm going to run 26 miles. And how does someone run a marathon? You don't run a marathon by thinking about 26 miles. You run a marathon same way you do anything. You do it one step at a time. And you make it to the next hill. You make it to the next turn. And then you worry about the next one, and the next one, and the next one. You know, one of the, one of the primary keys to thriving under pressure is learning to tune out everything and just focus on the one thing that you have to do that is in front of you right now. And that's so important, and it's so good. But of course, Jesus here is ultimately talking about much more than a mental strategy for success, like someone like John Gordon would be talking about. No, no, he's talking here fundamentally about God's grace, and God's grace undergirds the statement. And what he's saying here fundamentally in the statement is that God only gives grace for today. He doesn't give you grace today, for tomorrow's problems. And you know, that's so important because you know, sometimes we look at tomorrow with dread. You ever, you, ever, you ever watch someone go through some horrendous trial and you try and imagine going through that trial yourself and you think, there is no way I could go through that. Like, like that would, like, like if I, you know, you think about going through some debilitating disease. You think about burying a spouse. You think about burying a child. You think about, you know, or, or something lesser, you know, just thinking about, you know, these ten steps that I all have to get done before I can graduate from school. And, and we just get overwhelmed and think, I, I can't imagine going through that and surviving. And, and you know what? You're right. Like, like you can't do those things. Because God has not given you the grace today for tomorrow's challenges. But tomorrow, He will give you the grace for whatever it is that He has for you that day. And then the next day, He will give you grace for what He has for you that day. And the next day, He'll give you the grace for what He has for you that day. And He will be faithful. You know, I, I, mean, I can see that in my life. And I imagine most of you who've walked with the Lord for years, you can see that in your life too. That every day, God's grace is sufficient. Some days, you need a lot of grace. You know, I, I mean, 
I mean, the big one for me, you know, my, my best friend died of cancer when, when, when I was 17 years old. You know, and you think about that sort of thing, and I, I remember when I, I had the opportunity to sing at his funeral. You know, and God gave grace in a hard moment, you know, and I got through it, and then his mom gave me a hug, and I broke down. But I didn't need to keep it together at that point. God gives grace for every day. And so, don't worry about tomorrow. Serve God today. Look to God for grace today. And trust Him that He will give grace tomorrow for whatever tomorrow holds. So, so in conclusion, we've covered some vital ground these last three weeks. And we have seen above all else that a clear vision of eternity must shape my vision of today. A clear vision of eternity must shape a clear vision of today. And so, and so the only way I can think rightly about this life is if I have a right perspective on eternity and I am sure of my eternal home. And of course, I must emphasize that, that, that all of this then begins with knowing Jesus as your Savior and knowing that you are going to be with Christ in heaven someday. Because if your eternity is not settled, then, then this passage has no significance, no application for you. The only way this passage makes sense and the only way this passage gives hope is if you know Jesus as your Savior. And you know that you're going to heaven someday and you know that God is your Father and His grace is with you. And so if you have never received Jesus as your Savior, you don't know where you're going someday after you die, then I hope that you will see today that Jesus died on the cross so that He could take your sins out of the way when you repent and believe on Christ. And if you put your faith in the sacrifice, the finished work of Jesus, then Christ will remove your sin, you will be declared righteous in Christ, and you can know you're going to heaven someday. You're adopted into God's family, God becomes your Father, and then you can face all the uncertainties of life, knowing that eternity is settled, and, 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 and you are in God's family. And if you've never done that before, please be saved today. Because you know, all the self-help, you know, Oprah fluff in the world that tells you some good little mental tricks, it's all baloney. If, if Jesus is not your Lord and you are not secure in Him. So, so please be saved. And if you are saved, then the challenge is very simple. Replace worry with faith. Rest in the character of God and the promises of eternity. So, so let faith shape how you look at the things of this world, the pleasures of this world, and let faith overwhelm every pressure of this life. Heavenly Father, we thank You today that You are our Father, and we thank You that You know our every need. And so, Father, I pray First of all, for any who are here who do not know Jesus as Savior, that today they would be born again. And they would leave knowing Christ and knowing that their eternity is settled. And for those of us who know You as Savior, I pray that Your Holy Spirit 
every day of our lives would strengthen our faith and give us the power to believe every promise and every assurance that comes from Your character. And help us, Lord, to face life focused on You. Lord, help us to seek Your kingdom and Your righteousness and trust You that You will take care of everything else. And so, God, we pray that this week we would go in the strength of this passage, that we would lay up treasures in heaven, not treasures on earth, and that, Lord, in so doing, that our hearts would be shaped to to pursue You and love You. And God, I pray for some in this room that are dealing with tremendous pressures and anxieties and cares, some of them very legitimate, that, Lord, You would give grace and comfort And Lord, help us all to refine our focus every day and to trust in you. In Jesus' name.